RJ Young, host of the number one ranked show. My goodness. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever it is you get your podcast. Today, as you can see, I'm quite excited because we're going to finish our Power 5 conference previews with the SEC. SEC. Does it sound like I'm an SEC member yet? Because as an Oklahoma fan, I'm just headed that direction in two years. So I got to get used to it as I feel dirty having said that. However, do want to go through my top five storylines in the SEC. Some teams I think are going to overachieve. Some teams I think are going to underachieve. A couple players for you to watch for and who is going to play in the SEC championship, which is a great way to punch your ticket to the college football playoff. As you know, college football playoff selection committee does not give a damn whether or not you won your conference championship as long as you play in the SEC. So let's start at the top with our top five storylines for the 2022 season in the SEC. Starting with number one, my question what will Kirby Smart and Georgia do for an encore? Now, for those of you living under that particular rock, you'll know Georgia won its first national championship in 41 years last year, coming from behind the fourth quarter to beat Alabama and Nick Saban, something they could not get done in the SEC championship game, which is kind of fun to think about because, well, we got to know Kirby Smart and Nick Saban as a combo, as a duo, as Shaq and Kobe in our version of the NBA, which is a really strained metaphor, but you get what I'm saying here. Kirby Smart eventually was able to pick up what he learned from Nick Saban, throw it over the top of what he's got at Georgia, and in five years, 2016, yeah, get to a national championship, something Mark Rick could not do at Georgia, as Georgia fans would be the first to tell you. Now, going into this year, I think it's important to really talk about a couple of stats that I think are fascinating in as far as the Georgia Bulldogs are concerned. 41 out of 50 SEC games, they have won. Now, not every one of those is against Alabama, but you get what I'm saying here. And they've lost just a total of 15 since Kirby Smart became head coach, like 15 total, which is ridiculous when you think about what that conference is and how good it is, not top to bottom, because then we got to talk about Vanderbilt, but you get what I'm saying here. Look, they go into this year with 15 former five stars among 85 scholarship players, which is another way of saying Kirby Smart and that group can recruit. As a matter of fact, I was down there for Notre Dame and Georgia at Sanford Stadium, and I got to hear Kirby Smart talk a little bit about what it takes to play football at Georgia, and I got to tell you guys, I don't think I would hold up. They get after you. They yell at you. They scream you. I, I dare say they might cuss you out, but turns out hell of a good football team, as we saw from 2021, particularly on the defense, where they're losing seven starters. And I think that is the reason chiefly why the Associated Press poll voters, they're like 60, 61, voted them number three. I voted them number four. Shocker, we're kind of on the nose there because we're all looking at that defense going, it was generational. I understand that statistically it's not as good as some have been, 2002 Miami, maybe even 2011 Alabama in there, but it's still pretty damn good. And then you think about what they lost. Lewis Seen, Trayvon Walker, Quay Walker, and of course the man in the middle that is going to be replaced by Jalen Carter. Look, I think that when we're talking about guys that return here, I mean, I don't know that you're going to have to really think about Jordan so much as you're going to have to think about Nicobe Dean because one of the things that I got from that defense is that Nicobe Dean made everybody right okay it's also one of the smartest players that I think Kirby Smart has ever coached particularly because Kobe Dean also has a mechanical engineering degree and comes from Mississippi school where he just was absolutely setting people on fire and was able to put everybody in positions with all their calls also was able to get those calls from his defense coordinator act like a defense coordinator on the field but you'll also know that that defense coordinator is gone. That defense coordinator was once Dan Lanny. He is the coach at Oregon who's going to open his head coaching resume going against the defending national champions and 
a team he coached against, which is not the way I would draw it up, but that's the way it's going to be. Now, Kirby Smart has adopted Will Muschamp to be his new defense coordinator, which I think is kind of funny because Will Muschamp apparently at one point, well, no, it was Kirby Smart was interviewing for a job at Valdosta State where Will Muschamp was on staff. And when they were asking him to draw on the whiteboard, the story goes that Kirby Smart drew 12 guys on defense. And Will Muschamp was the guy who pointed out, it's like, hey, we're going to be pretty damn good if we get to play with 12 guys on defense. Kirby denies that it happened that way, but I kind of think that is fun because Kirby Smart's defenses are, well, legendary. I mean, he has one of my favorite man-to-man coverages, which is called Cats. Our Cats are better than your Cats. We're going to go man up and we're going to get after you. He can do that because he's got guys like Nolan Smith. He's got guys like Healy Ringo who was a little bit slow to come on, but my goodness, dude, that guy can absolutely go. And you got to see him get the game ceiling pick in the national championship game, and he's a preseason All-American. And leading that defense that I think is going to need a lot of help, right? They're going to get some help because so many of those guys are highly touted, one of them being Michael Williams, who could be as good as any defender in all of college football, frankly, because he's playing at Georgia. But it's not the Georgia defense that we really have to think about. It is the Georgia offense. Now, We'll start with this. Stetson Bennett is a folk hero in Georgia. Also the kind of dude that wants to get his F-150 detailed before he sits down with a Sports Illustrated writer for a Sports Illustrated profile. I don't know that you can get more Southern than that. Only way you get more Southern than that is if you're driving from Dawsonville, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia, and you're running a load of moonshine. Some of y'all get that reference. Some of y'all don't. The ones of y'all that don't, you're not SEC fans, but you're here, and I appreciate you being here. Now, if Georgia is going to be just the, I believe, the fifth team, to go back-to-back in winning national championships in like the 153-year history of this sport, they're going to need Seth and Bennett to do it. And since we're here, and I got this stat in front of me, 1940-1941, Minnesota goes back-to-back as national champions. We can we can talk about what the voters were doing or not doing in that one. Then 1944-1945, we got Army, right? 1955-1956, my Oklahoma Sooners. And then, of course, Alabama in 2011 and 2012. Now, Seth Bennett ain't that great, but he is good. Okay, let me unpack that. So, Seth Bennett doesn't pass 3,000 yards last year, but he does pass, I think it's 29 TDs in here, and two INTs in the SEC championship game. But that's kind of the point there, right? He plays really well against teams that aren't very good, or not even very good, teams that aren't as good as Alabama. How about that? How about we start there? If you're a top five team and you play in the SEC, you could probably get Stetson Bennett fits. If he could fix all of that and make use of guys like, I mean, this tight end group is ridiculous, Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, who's a monster, Darnell Washington, who's six foot seven and is faster than most of the people trying to chase him. And then he's got Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton in the backfield. They find some answers at wide receiver for George Pickens going to the NFL and Jermaine Burton going to Alabama. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. They've got a shot here, but there's a reason as to why they're not the number one team coming back as the defending national champions. I think that some of this is going to come down to how they score touchdowns and whether or not they score touchdowns in the red zone. Interesting stat here when we're talking about the upper echelon of teams that can play and win a national championship. I looked at Alabama. I looked at Ohio State. Those are two teams I think will probably end up in the national championship game, but that's something else entirely. Look, when the dogs reach the red zone, they scored 86% of the time. That's field goals and or touchdowns. When the Buckeyes reach the red zone, 92% of the time. And when the Crimson Tide reach the end zone, 93% of the time. Or red zone, not the end zone. You get what I'm saying? You get inside the 20-yard line, you're getting three, you're getting six, right? They need to be better at that. And I don't know that they're going to get that much better at that because that's not just how Kirby Smart builds a program. He builds a program for the defense to be stifling, to be monsters, and then for the quarterback to be a game manager. 
not unlike the way that they at first built Alabama in 2007, all the way up until about 2015, 2016, about the time when Kirby Smart takes a job at Georgia, his alma mater, and his dream job. I think that you're going to have to open up the offense just a little bit more than you want to if you're Kirby Smart because even Nick Saban had to do that. Nobody's more defensive-minded than Nick Saban, who is still coaching defensive backs. But they've got a shot, and I think they'll probably end up in the SEC Championship. Spoiler for something that is ahead. Now, I want to move to number two on our top five storylines going into the 2022 season for the SEC. That question that I have for myself is, will Alabama become the first team since 2017 Alabama to begin the season as the preseason number one team in the country and win the national championship. It's possible. I mean, I ranked them number one to start. So did the Associated Press. Look, I get this top 25 thing. It gets on everybody's nerves, but I'm right more often than I'm wrong here. Point is, Nick Saban and Alabama are going into their 15th consecutive year where they have been ranked number one in the country at one point or another during the season, which is a remarkable stretch, especially when I think the next closest there is like seven. But when you look at what they're returning, you get it. First, they got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback in Bryce Young going into a draft-eligible year. Then they are returning, I think, some outstanding players on the defense – led by Will Anderson, who had 34 and a half tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks, which is ridiculous. My God, put that man in Heisman conversation. And then you're going to talk about guys like Jordan Battle, who I think is one of the better defenders that nobody talks about, and one of Nick Saban's favorite players on the team, mostly because he makes them right more often than they are wrong. You got Henry Tooto coming back. He had 112 tackles on that team last year. You next, you put next to him a Jihad Campbell, a Jalen Moody, And you're cooking with grass because Will Anderson alongside a DJ Dale, alongside a Dallas Turner who had eight and a half sacks as a true freshman. You get what I'm saying here. They could be pretty doggone good. Offensive line, I think, is going to have some work to do, but I think Doug Marone is in a position to do it. Now, they lost Evan Neal to the NFL. They lost Chris Owens to the NFL. But they went and, wait for it, raided Vanderbilt to find a tackle. That's one of my favorite notes. Even when Vanderbilt's got a player... Nick Saban's like, hey, Tyler Stink. Ty- Tyler, Tyler Stink, you want to you play at Alabama? You want to play at Alabama right now? Y- yes, yes, sir, I would. And I have two years of eligibility left. And I played 33 games at Vanderbilt. And I started out my career as a defender before they flipped me to tackle. So now I know a little bit about what a, a defensive line is trying to do. And I can put my hands on them and I can roll them up. And I can play a little right tackle for you as you are developing other players that can be outstanding at those other core positions. I think this team has a chance to be as pivotal to this 2021 Alabama team as Landon Dickerson was to the 2020 Alabama team that won the national championship. And they're going to need it. So they got a couple of new guys at wide receiver, and they got at least one guy that expect to get a lot of carries at the tailback position. Now, let's start with the tailback position. They add Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs to the rotation. Another player on a bad football team that Nick Saban went to go get. Now, what makes Jameer Gibbs so interesting is his ability to run and catch the ball. For my Oklahoma brethren, you'll think of this guy being more like DeMarco Murray. He'll probably get you 700-plus yards on the ground and probably get you another 400 through the air. And crucially for Bill O'Brien, you get to run split backs. Oklahoma's pretty nasty in 2015, 2016, 2017 when they could put split backs next to Baker Mayfield. Samaj P. Ryan on one side, Joe Mixon on the other. They're cooking you with gas. On the outside, when they got two on one side, they got one. So you got two by one, you can go three wide. You also have five guys that go out in patterns. That's difficult to cover as a safety slash linebacker, depending on who you are and what the scheme you want to run is against them. 
Also in that backfield, Trey Sanders, who I think is good, he's just been injured, has an opportunity to really contribute. You'll get Jace McClellan, who at one point was committed to Oklahoma and then going into Christmas, Nick Saban showed up at his doorstep in Alito and he flipped his commitment to Alabama. He's been great ever since. One of my favorite stories because Nick Saban is the anti-Santa Claus. He will show up to your Christmas party and rob you blind. Now, also in there is Roydell Williams. So you got four guys I think that could absolutely carry the rock and or catch the rock for Bill O'Brien, for Nick Saban on that Alabama offense that can do some damage. That's pretty outstanding considering Brian Robinson Jr. had the one good year, got into a national championship game after Najee Harris was doing Najee Harris things. Before that, Damian Harris doing Damian Harris things. We can go all the way back to guys like Derrick Henry. They know how to de- recruit and develop running backs at Alabama is my point. On the outside, you got a little bit more work to do. You're losing Jamison Williams, right? You're losing John Mechie, right? You're losing Slade Bolden, who, I don't know, White Chocolate was out there making it happen. All of a sudden, you want to go to the NFL. I'm going, hey, man, you would have been the number one. It have been you and Ja'Cory Brooks, but he decided he wanted to go to the league. So they went and raided Georgia, which is the most SEC thing ever. Cool. Jermaine Burton has over 900 yards uh, receiving, not catching, receiving over two years, wins the national championship in Georgia, and decided, you know what? I'm going to jump ship to our arch nemesis, Alabama, where he's probably going to develop into their number one. One of the reasons you would do this if you're Jermaine Burton is you watch Jamison Williams be the number three guy on the depth chart at Ohio State and develop into an All-American and a first-round draft pick at Alabama. Simply, I think, because he played at Alabama and they gave him an opportunity to return kicks and they gave him an opportunity to stretch the field. You also got John Mechie that's taking a lot off your plate and Cameron Latou, who's also taking a lot off your plate. So you're getting one-on-one coverage where you normally wouldn't. I think that's going to be kind of cool, but also you're going to need Jermaine Burton to show up and show up in a big way. Not unlike George Pickens was showing up for Georgia down the stretch. Defensively, my goodness, man, they forced 22 takeaways last year. I think they're going to get close to 30 this year. Pete Golden's defense is finally rounding into form. I think I was two years ahead on saying who Pete Golden is and what he is capable of at Alabama. Coming from UTSA, I really love his trajectory. One of my favorite facts is, my goodness, Dave Aranda and Pete Golden were on the same staff for Ron Roberts, who's defense coordinator Baylor at Delta State. So Ron Roberts is working for a dude he used to employ himself and two of the better defensive minds in all of college football work for him. One of those is at Alabama, at Alabama trying to win a national championship and rocking the hell out of that visor. I'm, you know, not a whole lot of guys can rock the hell out of the visor. It's like Kevin Sumlin, it's like Bob Stoops, and it's like Pete Golden, right? We'll see if uh, Brent Venables decides to go with a visor, but I doubt it. All right, number three on my list of top five storylines for the SEC in 2022. Very simple. Will Texas A&M follow through all right now I catch a lot of hell for being high on a couple of Texas teams because turns out everybody not named an Aggie hates that I rank Texas A&M inside the top five and everybody who is not a Longhorn hates that I rank Texas inside the top 25 the talent is just there guys like if we're looking at what you're supposed to do because I believe the preseason rankings are about projecting the future not evaluating the past A&M ought to be absolute monsters in 2022. Now, since bolting from Florida State, Jimbo Fisher has put together a record of 34 and 14. He's proven that he can win national championships, at least in the BCS era. Hasn't gotten Texas A&M to the SEC championship because the SEC West is the toughest division in all of college football. He would need to do that to have a chance to win the national championship, and that's what we're talking about. 
the 12th man has shelled out millions to Jimbo Fisher and in NIL collectives, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to be the second or third best team in their own division. That's not going to cut it. It's also not going to cut it for a team that has not won a national championship since we last fought a world war, fam. It's been 1939 since Texas A&M last won a national championship. And the price of oil be damned. They want to win one this year, and they want to win one quick, fast, and in a hurry. Now, again, to get there, you got to get to the SEC championship game. Now, they ain't been able to do it, which puts them on a list with Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt as teams who have not won an SEC title game, and that ain't where you want to be, okay? Also in there, Ampersand U fans will be the first folks to tell you, we're talented as all hell. Ania Smith is back. Right, I think Aeneas Smith is also an outstanding player. Devin A.J. is back, also an outstanding player. Had over 900 yards rushing on a team that was, I thought, going to be led by Isaiah Spiller in rushing last year. He's going to be dynamic for them. They add five stars, Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall. I think Evan Stewart has an opportunity to be great. We'll talk about that in a little bit later on. The problem for Jimbo and the Aggies isn't actually quarterback where he's going to pick between Haynes King, Max Johnson, and Connor Weigman. I think any one of those guys can do the job. I think Haynes King is going to start out with the job because he's the incumbent. He's been in the system for the longest coming off of an injury. I think he's got a shot. The problem is defense and it ain't the defensive personnel. It's just whether or not DJ Durkin can acclimate himself or adapt himself to what Texas A&M does well and whether or not that unit can adapt itself to what he does well. If you can keep a lid on the defense, you ought to have an opportunity to compete in the SEC West. Plus, it ain't like we're not talking a whole hell of a lot of noise about what the Aggies have done or not done, according to Jimbo Fisher, in the offseason. We also got an SEC commentator with an $800,000 book deal to talk about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. What I'm saying is a lot of people are interested in what Jim, uh, Jimbo Fisher gets to do or doesn't do in this SEC season. And I got to tell you, man, eight and four ain't going to cut it. It's, it's just not. You got to get to the SEC championship game, or it might be time to start thinking about someone else to be the head man at Texas A&M. I said it. We'll leave it there. Okay. Next on my list of questions at number four for the top five storylines in the SEC for the 2022 season, who will have the best year in the SEC in year one, right? So I would have listed two players, uh, two coaches, excuse me, Billy Napier at Florida year one. Brian Kelly at LSU, year one. Now, what's fascinating about that is, is both of those guys have been pretty doggone good from opposite ends of the spectrum. Let's start with Billy Napier, who was on this vaunted 2015 Alabama staff that included Mario Cristobal, Mel Tucker, Lane Kiffin himself, missing somebody else in there that's a head coach, but it's ridiculous what they were. Oh, Kirby Smart, my goodness, right? And Dan Lenny was also GA on that staff. Billy Napier was coaching wide receivers, for which Holman Wiggins is coaching wide receivers. Holman Wiggins was an assistant at TU before he got the job at Alabama by way of Virginia Tech. I'm still kind of salty about it because Holman Wiggins is an outstanding uh, coach, and I really want him to do well. He's probably going to be a diamond in the rough when we talk about this a little bit later on as we get closer to Texas and Alabama. However, Billy Napier went from being a wide receiver coach at Alabama to being an offense coordinator at Arizona State. He gets passed over for the job that Herm Edwards gets, takes a job at Louisiana, and all he does – it's put together a 40-12 and 12 record at 43 years old at Louisiana, formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette or ULL. Didn't nobody give a damn or care about the Raging Cajuns before Billy Napier got there and turned the SEC light Sunbelt Conference into the kind that you have to pay attention to. It also was 12-1 and one in the 2021 season, finished 
back-to-back top 16 seasons at Louisiana with a bunch of dudes that I swear that you don't even know anything about. I mean, just putting it blindly and bluntly there. Now he's at Florida where it feels like he has everything he wants to do and needs to win the SEC East or at least compete in it. They even got a game-change coordinator. A what? A game-changing coordinator. It is, it is, it's something like a, a special teams coach. But it's my point there is they they got they got assistance with assistance at Florida. All right. Like they got so many people on staff over there. It rivals Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama for you know, people with titles. I'm a big title person. I like titles. Titles are fun. But when I see something like that, I'm going, what are we doing here? And who's getting yes. It's Florida. Florida's going to do their own damn thing, as Tennessee fans will very well tell you. For Billy Napier, it's about choosing the best quarterback to lead the offense. Anthony Richardson, who is shedding a title that I wanted him to shed for two years, I appreciate that. Just going to be AR. That's great. Just be Anthony. He's competing against former Ohio State quarterback Jack Miller for the starting job. Most people think that Richardson's going to start out that way, but I think Jack Miller has an opportunity to be great at Florida in Gainesville. Now, for the defense, you're going to have to be pretty doggone good. You're going to have to get a lot out of Gervin Dexter. You're going to have to get a lot out of Corey Raymond in that defensive back group, but you have the tools to be pretty doggone good. Now, going to the other side of the SEC, to the LSU, Brian Kelly decided that he wanted to take a job at LSU because he wanted to beat Nick Saban. I would have stayed in Notre Dame, but that's just me, dog. Like, I wouldn't have – I don't think I would have said out loud, I'm leaving – the most well-known branded college football program of all time for which they make bad movies about to go to LSU, which I think is the best job in America, quite honestly, because it's the recruiting footprint that you have and who you get to just say comes to LSU. But I wouldn't have gone there and said, I want to beat Nick Saban. Hey man, I want to be six foot five and bulletproof. (laughs) I'd love to see which one of us gets to do that first. Now, there's a lot of money that's involved, and I'm sure that that has some sway. But the dude from Massachusetts, who started, I guess, watched one Waterboy film and decided that's how people talk in the South, now is in a very precarious position. Miles Brennan has retired from football. Long career for him, one of the state's best, or I should say Mississippi State's best high school players ever. Full stop. Outstanding player. Now we're down to a two-horse race between Garrett Nussmeyer, whose father, Doug Nussmeyer, was not only an assistant in Dallas Cowboys, but once ran the offense for Nick Saban at Alabama, is in competition with Jaden Daniels, who transferred from Arizona State not long after they got hit with all these penalties. And I think Jaden Daniels is probably going to start out as the guy because he's got that kind of experience and you know what he can do in the Pac-12. And Jaden Daniels, quite honestly, was one of the better players to come out of the 2019 class. But Garrett Nussmeyer will be right there. You know you're not going to have John Emery, at least to start, because he's still serving a two-game suspension, but you're going to have guys back there that I think can run the rock. You're going to have a couple of dudes that I think can catch it, one in which is Kayshawn Butte, and Kayshawn is a preseason All-American. But I don't know what you're going to have defensively, and that could be a problem for you. Now, you also got what I think is a pretty soft schedule in as far as the SEC goes. Like, the SEC West just kind of, and you end up with four or five teams that are ranked on your schedule just on general principle. But, Of those two, I think you got to take into account Brian Kelly's ability to take Notre Dame, who doesn't have to play for a conference championship ever, and put them in a position to play in the national championship game in 2012 when they got boat raced and then 
you know, in the Rose Bowl in 2020 when they got boat raced, but he's been there. He he knows what it looks like to play against Nick Saban. And then you got Billy Napier, who I think has got a little bit of an easier deal because the SEC East just isn't as tough as the SEC West, not to say that it's not tough, but there's a difference between having Missouri on your schedule and having Ole Miss on your schedule. There's a difference between having Kentucky on your schedule and having A&M on your schedule. It's just going to be one of them deals, right? I think Billy Napier has an opportunity to shock us with a win against Utah, but we'll see. You also got a guy coming from Florida who's going to be leading the Utah defense in Muhammad Diabate, who I think is going to be the next Devin Lloyd out there at Utah. You're able to show us some things. We got an opportunity for Billy Napier to come out here firing. I'm going to bet on Billy Napier here because I've seen that man build a program from nothing. He understands what the SEC means. He also understands what it means to be coaching against and, you know, with Nick Saban, whereas Brian Kelly's coming down here from playing club football in Cincinnati, Grand Valley State, and Central Michigan, Notre Dame. Not for nothing, dog, but in the South, we play a little bit of different brand of football down here, and you're going to get the full dose. Okay? Okay? And we take it a little bit serious around here. I love stuff like Formula One, but NASCAR is what we do. Rubbing is racing, right? We like to beat up on people and we say, hey, you don't like it? Move. You're going to get a lot of that in the SEC is what I'm telling you. We're going to see how we adapt because Baton Rouge ain't an easy place to play, but it's a damn sight harder when you're losing. My goodness. All right. Fifth and final question I have for our top five storylines in the SEC heading into the 2022 season. Can Arkansas... Get to 10 wins this year. Now, everybody who watches this show knows me. Your man's loves him some Sam Pittman. I love me this pit boss. I love what he's doing to Arkansas. You know how you win me over? Come recruit my kids. Come to green country, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Northeast Oklahoma, and come get my players. And that's what he's been able to do. And they've turned out to be pretty doggone good. Arkansas. Now, is it going to be one of those that short walk from Bubba Shot to Jukebox last night to Jukebox Hero to turn that damn jukebox on, we're going to see. Now, they got K.J. Jefferson coming back, who's turned himself into a bona fide star. That man absolutely will run over a middle linebacker, and nothing charges up your defense like watching a quarterback who will get his head stuck in. One of my favorite things about what they do at Arkansas and what Kendall Browse allows that dude to do, they also have guys like Rocket Sanders back there who can absolutely run the rock. They added an Oklahoma wide receiver transfer in Jaden Hazelwood to replace Traylon Burks, who's a Tennessee Titan. If K.J. Jefferson and Jaden Hazelwood can create some sort of chemistry, I think they're going to be outstanding offensively. Defensively, Barry Odom's adding an Alabama transfer in Drew Sanders to guys like Bumper Poole and Jalen Catalan, who I think are outstanding players, running that 4-2-5 that they got out there. Sometimes resembles a 4-2-6 or 4-1-5, depending on what you want to look at. Four, 4-1-6, not a 4-2-6 because... Well, that's 12 players, and now I have Kirby Smarted all over myself. Now, I think what it's going to come down to for them is can they beat Cincinnati in their opener? A little bit later on, we're going to talk about my favorite conference teams. I should say a little bit later on in the show, probably in the next show. But I had to leave off Arkansas in Cincinnati because, well, it's Arkansas and it's Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is ranked, and I ranked them. But I'm going to call it an upset if they go and beat up on Arkansas in Fayetteville. I don't see this happening, but it's a great way to start off your 2022 season if you are Arkansas, and one of the reasons that I'm very high on them is I think they can go and win that game. Hogs also led the SEC in rushing. They put up 441 yards, 31 points a game. I think we're going to be seeing uh, the pigs uh, barbecue some, you know, just a little bit. 
because ain't nothing in Arkansas to do but play ball. Like, honestly, that's one of the reasons that it's great. It's one of the reasons that it's fun. It's why I'm up on Nebraska. Ain't nothing there but to go beat up on people. And you only got six opportunities at home to beat up on people. I'm going to root for Arkansas, see if they can get it done. And on top of that, one to just kind of put a pin in. Remember last year they played Alabama because everybody forgot about that game because they got boat raced by Georgia 37-0. They lost that game 42-35. Alabama ends up in the in the SEC and the National Championship game. You win that game, everybody looks at Arkansas football just a little bit differently, and we're going to get lots more yesers than you're ready to deal with, I'm telling you. All right, from that segment, top five storylines in the SEC for the 2022 season, let's go to this segment. Teams who will overachieve in the SEC. I got two. I got two, all right? One of them I kind of hit on, but we're going to start with the one that I didn't. At number one on the list for me is South Carolina. Over six and a half, according to Fox Bet, where we get these wins totals for you to bet on. I got them at seven. Seven, eight seems within the realm of possibility for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, they surprised everybody, including myself, by not just appearing in a bowl, but winning the Duke's Mayo Bowl against North Carolina in Shane Beamer's year one. Means he also got doubts with nasty mayonnaise. I you I, you serve me up mayonnaise. I, I'm just assuming that you're trying to poison me. I can't I can't do mayonnaise, man. I I I lose my mind. It's just kryptonite. Now they add Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler, who I'm still very high on, and Austin Stogner, great tight end, six foot six, big dude. You also have a couple of guys that I think are underrated on that team already but not the least of which is Jaheim Bell because I think Jaheim can do almost anything. And I think one of the ways in which Shane Beamer gets him involved in what they do is going to tell us a lot about what they expect from the offense. Added to that, Wake Forest transfer Christian Beal Smith, who has the ability to do what Kenneth Walker did at Michigan State. He's that good. You also have an underrated transfer. James Madison transfer Antoine Wells joins the Gamecocks after having – at JMU, 116 passes caught, 1,853 yards, receiving 21 TDs as a Duke. Now, the Dukes are going into their final season of FCS play because they're going to just, you know, up and join FBS and everybody's all up in arms about it. But I think on the defensive side, if Nickelback Cam Smith has the kind of season that he's capable of having, he had 11 passes uh, defended last year, three INTs, they'll be good enough at keeping the lid on the defense to do more than win six games, which means they'll win seven. Again, the over is six and a half here. I think that's a solid bet for you. Now, other team I kind of stressed that was Arkansas at over seven and a half. Again, you're returning both coordinators. Kendall Browse, Barry Odom, head coach, Sam Pittman. You're returning your starting quarterback in KJ Jefferson. You've added a couple of high-value transfers. Oklahoma wide receiver Jaden Hazelwood, uh, Alabama linebacker, former five-star. Both of those guys are former five-stars. And Drew Sanders. Jalen Catalan is a stud at safety. You're in a good position to go and win eight games, take care of Sensi. That's the big one for them. All right. Quickly, I want to touch on a team that I think is going to underachieve in 2022. It's on the rundown. I got to do it. It's Mississippi State at six and a half. I think six is probably the best that we're looking for from Mississippi State. They got games at LSU, at Alabama, at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, Georgia, and AM. I don't think that you would pick them to beat any of those teams. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, right there. Right there, right? To say nothing of your non-conference that has Arizona on the schedule. You should beat Arizona, but if you don't, it's going to be rough trying to get to six wins, let alone over six and a half. 
Bulldogs got a season opener against Memphis. Uh, excuse me. They 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 get Arizona after Memphis. So they got Memphis. I think Ryan Silverfield and his gang probably want to show everybody what's really good in the American because they like watch Central Florida get picked off to go to the Big 12. Houston get picked off to go to the Big 12. Uh, and Cincinnati get picked off to go to the Big 12. And they got left out. Feels like a miss to me, fam. And I think Ryan Silverfield and his gang are going to be ready to go trying to not just beat up on an SEC West team, but an SEC West team that they share a recruiting footprint with, right? It's them and Mississippi, Ole Miss. They recruit the same players. Also, remember, Memphis is the program that gave us guys like, you know, D'Angelo Williams. Or here's one for you youngins, right? Antonio Gibson. You know Antonio Gibson. You don't know anything about D'Angelo Williams. I, I, I wish you did because that dude was a monster at tailback. All right. Bulldogs had a top 30 defense last year. They're going to have to do that and then some this year to get to the over of six and a half. Will Rogers threw 4,700 yards, but, you know, it's kind of a misnomer because it ain't like Mike Leach makes a living running the football. Like, that's just not what he does. The tailbacks can catch the ball, but that's not what they do, right? Shout out to Osiris Mitchell, who had an outstanding year in the USFL, also played at Mississippi State, catch passes in a Mike Leach offense. Again, this is the benefit of having the college football dude be the USFL dude at Fox Sports. You are welcome, sir. You are welcome. All right. From that segment to this segment, best bets to put money in the bag. All right. I almost looked at this and was like, do I really want to pick an SEC team to put money in the bag? Some of me was like, you absolutely want to do that. You absolutely do. Now, first on that list for me is Cincy, right? Cincy's a good football team. You're like, RJ, they're a top 25 football team. How are you going to put them on a list for the money in the bag candidates because they're getting one and a half million dollars to go to Arkansas. Now, I'm sure that this deal was made well before Luke Fickle turned that program into the kind that can make the college football playoff. And you're looking at that if you're Arkansas going, oh man, we were expected to get some other version of Cincinnati, a version of Cincinnati that might better resemble Ball State. No, we got this version of Cincinnati coming to us. So they're getting one and a half million dollars to go play at Arkansas. If they're able to win it, yes, we will talk about it because, again, it's money in the bag. It's not top 25 in the bag. All right. Next on that list for me, quickly, Eastern Washington gets 750 Gs to play at Florida. And then I was like, hey, RJ, didn't you put Eastern Washington on the money in the bag list earlier? You're damn right I did. I put them on the list for the Pac-12 because they got to play Oregon. And I casually was looking at it like, what the hell is Eastern Washington's schedule, man? All right. They got Florida at Florida. They play Eddie Georgia's Tennessee State. They got Oregon. They got a 12-win Montana State that was also able to get, get a win against Washington last year. And then they got a 10-win Montana. The big sky is taking no prisoners, fam. Like, you got to be a really damn good football team to make it up out of there. Eastern Washington said, hey, we're not on Bob Barker right now. We don't want a piece. We want the whole thing. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. They're getting half as much as Cincinnati. What? To go play Florida. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. I love this absurd and stupid sport. All right. From that segment quickly to this segment, players who I think will have a breakout year in 2022. I touched on one of them already. That is running back Jameer Gibbs. Again, 143 times he carried the Rock for Georgia Tech. 746 yards rushing, 36 passes caught, 470 yards, six total TDs, right? That's over 1,200 yards that that man was responsible for at Georgia Tech. He is added to what I think is already going to be a pretty potent Bill O'Brien offense. And again, 
he gives you versatility. You can run two back sets with him, Trey Sanders, Roydell Williams, Jason McClellan, and make it a do with a do, baby. Now, next on that list, guy I haven't spent a whole hell of a lot of time on, is a true freshman. One dude that I've been very excited about in Evan Stewart, who at one point was committed to uh, Texas, or at least was about to commit to Texas. Then he flipped his commitment to AM. Five-star wide receiver, who I believe is the second coming of Devontae Smith. That's the best way to categorize what Evan Stewart is capable of. And another way to put it, I'm a track guy. I ran the 400 at the University of Tulsa. My letter jacket is quite literally in the mail. That's another story altogether. And when I get here, you damn right, I'm wearing it right here because nothing fires me up more than having a letter jacket. That means I got a letter jacket from high school. I got a letter jacket from college. How many people you know got those who didn't play football? Anyway, so he ran 10.58 seconds in the 100 meters, 21.08 in the 200 meters. That's flying. That is also flying when you weigh close to 200 pounds. Usually you got to be about 40 pounds lighter to routinely throw down those sorts of times. He also took the Texas State long jump title in the 5A division at 24, 6 and a half. So he is not going to get outran, and he is not going to get high-pointed. That's outstanding for a quarterback that needs to establish himself and establish a rhythm rather quickly. Also means that I expect him to be one of the most explosive players in the SEC, which is saying quite a bit. He's a problem. Next on that list for me, we're going to go to Georgia, team that, you know, had a pretty damn good season last year, but they're going to have a lot to replace. One of those five stars that I was telling you about that it's among those 15 of those 85 scholarship players, fellow by the name of Malachi Starks. Now, I love me some Malachi Starks because he is a Southern football player like you read about. He went both ways. He played offense, defense, special teams, build a Gatorade cooler, kick the extra point. He's one of them type dudes, right? He also can fly. 10.55 seconds in 100 meters. What? I mean, I don't really understand. Like, I'm a track dude, so I always go a little bit overboard here because I'm not sure how many people are track dudes. But anything under 11 seconds is moving. Like, you don't know anybody that can run under 11 seconds. And when you meet that person, that person's probably playing big-time football. He also went 24-9 in the long jump, which means that he would have won the Texas 5A long jump ahead of Evan Stewart. That's who Malachi Starks is. He also had 2,400 yards total, 34 TDs, 259 carries, 81 tackles, nine interceptions in high school. What is that line? Like, that's ridiculous. I think he has an opportunity to really help them at the safety position. Losing a guy like Lewis Seen, you get to add a guy like Malachi Starks. You get Kirby Smart, who is a defensive back himself, to coach him up. You could be pretty damn good. Go back to LSU, the SEC West, Seven Banks, Ohio State transfer, Ohio State DB. It's been a couple of years since he was outstanding, but he played in 36 games at Ohio State with 14 starts, including one in the college football playoff national title game. He and Brian Kelly share that in common, getting beat down by Nick Saban in 2020. He also made seven tackles in that game, leading the Buckeyes in that statistic. Had, I believe it was eight pass breakups as uh, in 2020. As a senior, he got hurt, didn't play a whole lot, but even when he did play, he was really good. I think Seven Banks has an opportunity to really help LSU, especially as they lost Eli Ricks to Alabama on a transfer. Eli Ricks is not on this list because Eli Ricks is a literal All-American. What I look like putting a literal All-American on a breakout list. My God, I don't give a damn where he transferred to. That's just obscene. Okay, from that, I want to get to how many teams can compete playing the college football playoff. Now, I got four teams here. To look for two of them, you know, Alabama, Georgia. We'll talk about them in a little bit. The other two have never won the SEC championship game. Texas AM, 
who just became an SEC member like the last 10 years, 12 years, and then Arkansas. I think it's going to be which one of those teams wins that game, right? That's going to tell you a lot about that. And then which one of those teams can go and win against Alabama? You would think A&M has the edge here because they were able to do it at Kyle Field with a dude that might not even be the starter at Auburn after transferring in Zach Calzada. But I think Arkansas is in a really great position here. They know that they have the measure of Alabama. They lost a one-point game, 52-51, to Ole Miss. They win both of those games. They're looking at an 11-win season and possibly playing in the SEC championship game. It's that thin a margin. Close the gap in, uh, with Georgia where you got beat down 37-0. Don't have the mulligan like you did against Auburn, and Arkansas is right there. I think between Arkansas and AM, you have an outstanding competition for that other team that can make the SEC championship game and play in the college football playoff. On this SEC East side, it's George's world. Y'all just live in it until Billy Napier gets up to speed. Mark Stoops is over here talking about we're a football school. Like hell. But you have an opportunity to produce, to prove it. Like, I'm, I'm here for that. Like, come on, man. Your, your counterpart is John Calipari. What you look like firing off tweets? You look like the people that fired off tweets at me because I leave Michigan off the top 25. Come on, man. You grown. You a Stoops brother. You ain't got to do this. You also got Missouri that ain't going to do much. You got a Vanderbilt that ain't going to do much. South Carolina, seven wins, but nobody here thinks that South Carolina is going to play in the college football playoff. You understand what I mean here. All right. So who are the teams that are going to play in the SEC championship game? Alabama and Georgia. We're done now, right? <laughs> like, this is the part of the college football process that, quite honestly, you don't need me for, right? Like, your filthy casual friends no, Alabama and Georgia are great. What they can't tell you is who the starters on their offensive line are and who the guys that are playing defensive back are or even who the guy backing up the starting quarterbacks are because they don't need to know. That's what you need me for. And the problem that you're going to run into when you're trying to tell everybody why Alabama and Georgia are going to play in the SEC championship game and probably get back to the college football playoff is, oh, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are good. Yes, but why? Why is Nick Saban so good at turning over his staff every single year and making them competitive enough to get in to the conversation for the college football playoff and or national championship. Why can Kirby Smart do the same? They recruit the hell out of their region. They lock up Alabama. They lock up Georgia. They go to Florida. They go to Texas. They stay within their footprint. And when they need to go outside, they are going to the transfer portal. Nobody loves to recruit and sell more than those two dudes. If Nick Saban was not a head coach, he would be the most successful car dealer in the entire world. The man has managed to have a Mercedes-Benz dealership in Tuscaloosa, which you might not know this, but that's Ford territory, all right? That's American muscle territory, and he's over here selling German cars to willing drivers. That's not an easy sell, all right, as a dude that turns wrenches. Other thing to put into perspective here is, top to bottom, they're just better than you. Nick Saban, who went to Miami, I should say, went to the Miami Dolphins thinking he wanted to be a head coach because he come up under Bill Belichick and you know the deal. Gets there, figures out, wait a second, what do you mean I only get one first-round pick? Yeah, you only get one, and we might trade that one. You might do what? He did that for just long enough to figure out he didn't want to do it no more. Went to Alabama where they ain't been good in the better part of 15 years and said, I can get 20 first-round picks every damn year. And he has done just that. Kirby Smart went with them from that staff, developed the same philosophy. So their players are better than your players. Or as our favorite college football analyst in the booth says, Joel Klatt, 
our Jimmys are better than your Joes. And that's how we get here. SEC is going to be Alabama and or Georgia in the uh, college football playoff until such a time as we get an A&M or an LSU or Florida to come up and absolutely charge at them. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. My thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our coordinated producer is Catherine Donnelly. Rick is sitting in for us at the direct chair. My buddy and Top Gun, Maverick Glory. I love this. Our leader screening is Rachel Cohen. Social media maven is J.B. Duncan. And yeah, I'm the host. We will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.